As part of today's exhortation, our brother Phil Beckerson has asked us to read from the books of Acts, chapter 12. Acts, chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, And a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out, and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he saith, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stooped before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, Declare unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he, when he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and, having made Blasus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, 
because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the spirit. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now we'll ask our brother Phil Beckerson for today's exhortation. Brother Phil. See if I can adjust this so I can look up and down. Age is a terrible thing. (laughs) I'm not going to succeed here. But if I don't, I'm not going to find my spot halfway through. Okay. okay. Try that. I won't lean on it. A farmer owned land along the Atlantic Canada coast, and he constantly advertised for hired hands. Most people were reluctant to work his farm along the Atlantic. They dreaded the awful storms that raged across the ocean, wrecking havoc on the buildings and the crops. Finally, a short, thin man, well past middle age, approached the farmer. Are you a good farmhand? The farmer asked him. Well, I can sleep when the wind blows, answered the little man. Although puzzled by this answer, the farmer, desperate for help, hired him. The little man worked well around the farm, busy from dawn to dusk, and the farmer felt satisfied with the man's work. Then one night, the wind howled loudly in from offshore. Jumping out of bed, The farmer grabbed a lantern and rushed next door to the hired hand's sleeping quarters. He shook the little man and yelled, Get up! A storm is coming! We need to tie things down before they blow away. The little man rolled over in bed and said firmly, No, sir, I told you. I can sleep when the wind blows. Angered by the response, the farmer was tempted to fire him on the spot. Instead, he hurried outside to prepare for the storm. To his amazement he discovered that all the haystacks had been covered with tarpaulins. The cows were in the barn, the chickens were in the coops, and the doors were barred. The shutters were tightly secured. Everything was in order. Nothing could blow away. The farmer then understood what his hired hand meant when he said, Well, I can sleep when the wind blows. Good morning, brothers and sisters. The Bible is filled with all kinds of details, isn't it? Some are just that, details, like Genesis 1, where we find the account of God creating the earth. We have the rules listed in Exodus 20 and some other chapters, and of course, all the chapters of the begats and begots. Who is related to whom? Peppered through all of this are many very explicit stories, some short, some long, but all with a reason for being there. That is, they have a lesson for us to learn and reflect on, like the story above. If I told you the story of my getting up this morning, getting showered and dressed, etc., well, you would be pretty bored. 
but I could tell you the story of Sister Linda on our last vacation losing the keys to our rental car in a CVS drugstore in Florida, <laughs> leaving us locked out and stranded, then having the whole staff stop work to look for these keys, only to find them in her shorts pocket after a 15-minute search. <laughs> See, that story might make you smile and give you a lesson on aging, memory, and patience. <laughs> So today's reading from Acts also has a story for us. It is one that is quite familiar to all of us, and we have all watched or participated in many Sunday school plays about the events of Peter's imprisonment. Today I'd like to go back and look at it again. I believe that God has placed these stories in his book for us to do just that. Just as we like to recount the stories of our lives, he wants us to recount the stories in his book so we can reinforce their lessons. The story today is recorded in Acts 12, and we can turn there. This is a story about Peter and the Ecclesia, and while there are lessons here for us personally, they are, just as importantly, lessons for the Ecclesia, lessons about faith and prayer, which I hope we can learn to apply to ourselves in our everyday walk. As a bit of background, this event takes place early in the establishment of the Ecclesias after Christ's death. We know from the end of chapter 11 there is a great famine in Judea, and a relief effort is set up for the ecclesias in Jerusalem who are suffering. Herod is the king, and he is highly irritated with this new sect called the Christians, who he perceives as undermining his authority as God by proclaiming the one and only true God, our God. He is actively persecuting the church. We find in verse 2 that he captures and has James killed by the sword, and when he sees in verse 3 that this pleased the Jews, he sets out to take Peter also. I'm sure he believed that taking out these two very prominent and vocal men in this new movement would squash the, would squash the movement. In verse 4, he does indeed take Peter, and he must have worried that Peter would somehow escape, since he has him guarded by 16 soldiers, four quatrants consisting of so, four soldiers each. I think verse 5 is quite important here, when, he, when we see the response of the church. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. There are two key ideas here, prayer and without ceasing. We can just imagine what the prayers would have been for. James has just been beheaded, and they must have been terrified that the same would happen to Peter. But they prayed, and without ceasing, how often, brothers and sisters, when one of our own is ill, injured, or in need, do we come together and pray without ceasing? We know from verse 12 that a good many of their congregation were gathered together, and it, and it says they were praying for Peter's deliverance. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 to pray without ceasing, and in Romans 12 and 12 to be patient in tribulation, continuing, instant, in our prayers. James also, in chapter 5 and 16, states that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Luke 18 and 1 records for us this account of Jesus, that he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men always, that men ought always to pray and not to be faint. We all know how important prayer is, and there are many more verses I could quote but I think we understand. My point here is 
that this was not individual prayer as per se, but rather the entire ecclesia coming together in a time of necessity and offering up continual prayer to help one of their own. If the faithful prayer of one righteous man availeth much, imagine the prayers of many. Now back to the story. In verse 6 we find Peter chained between two soldiers with keepers chained between two soldiers with keepers at the prison doors. One of his dearest friends and brothers has been beheaded and he must have known that in all likelihood he would be killed the next day. Now I don't know about you brothers and sisters, but I am pretty sure that I would have been just a tad nervous and certainly would not have responded like Peter. I get insomnia over the smallest matters like getting the lawns cut, keeping three vehicles in running condition for the women in my house. But how do we find Peter? Sleeping. Not just having a little nap or rest either. He is in a deep sleep, laying on the ground between two soldiers and chained to them. It couldn't have been all that comfortable in the best of circumstances. Is this perhaps typical of Peter, the Peter we already know? Remember the story of his walking on water to meet Jesus. That time he wavers and Jesus has to lift him back to the surface. He seems to have a deep abiding faith and lack of concern for his own safety. My, I, <laughs> I don't have such faith myself. He simply trusts in God and Jesus implicitly that they will protect him or that if he dies, he is so sure of the promises for his salvation but that's okay too. Have we got that kind of faith, brothers and sisters? Do we have it in just the everyday things of our life that we face? That God will be there, and whatever the outcome, he is in control, and he does know best. I really think Peter did, and this is a huge lesson for us. There is no need to lose sleep. God is in control. Did Peter perhaps recall the words of Proverbs 3, 25 and 26? Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked, when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Or Proverbs 14 and 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. These two verses alone would have given him much comfort and confidence. How much more can they give us today? So we find Peter sleeping quite soundly. And I am sure we can all tell stories about being sound asleep and suddenly the light is turned on. We bolt awake and sit up, shielding our eyes to see what is going on. But Peter does not stir. And in fact, the angel has to hit him on the side in verse 7 and sit him up. Between verse 7 and 8, we read that the chains fell off from his hands and about the angel telling him to get up and get his coat and shoes on. In verse 9, he goes out and follows the angels, thinking he is dreaming. Let's just go back a minute. What happened to the guards? Why didn't they wake up with the light or the noise of the chains falling to the ground? Peter was lying between them. Did they not feel his movements? Obviously not. We can surmise that God has put them into a very deep sleep so that they are not roused by this commotion, similar to the deep sleep that God caused to fall on the soldiers with King Saul in 1 Samuel 27, when David finds Saul in the trench. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away, and no man saw it, nor knew it, neither awakened, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. 
The next point is that Peter follows this angel and is not quite sure who he is. I don't think he is being untrusting here. He just doesn't recognize that the man he is following is an angel right off. As realization occurs, he gives God the glory that is due him. And he seems to understand the full extent of his delivery. The Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hands of Herod and from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. Do we do the same, brothers and sisters, when we perceive that we have been delivered from a situation that we have been praying for? Do we follow the path God leads us on without knowing where? Are we ready to give him full faith and trust to lead us to safety? Do we praise him with our lips as did Peter? Perhaps the words of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are embedded in Peter's heart and mind. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Or Psalm 18. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Do we have enough of the scripture embedded in our hearts and minds to draw on them in times of need or thanksgiving? When was the last time a verse popped into your mind to help you in a time of your need? Peter now stops and considers what has happened. We can almost envision him standing in a dark doorway or alley and thinking hard about what has just occurred and what he should do now. When he has prayed about a matter, <clears throat> excuse me, when we have prayed about a matter and have been answered, and finally when we recognize that our prayers have been answered, it sometimes takes a little time in hindsight to recognize that occurrence. Just as it must have taken Peter a few moments to understand his deliverance. Then we too should take time and reflect on our answered prayer and the path that God is leading us on. Peter carries on to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whereas it is recorded, many were gathered together praying. And as we know, <clears throat> and we know why they were praying. It was for his deliverance. Verse 13 is the record of the story of Rhoda. She hears the knocking at the door. I can't imagine that Peter was knocking very loudly for fear of being heard. But Rhoda does hear it. She probably asked who was at the door before opening it, out of fear that those that had taken Peter might come and take them. She does recognize Peter's voice and for some reason does not open the door, but runs to tell the others, who think she is quite mad. Did she think it was a trick? Was the door barred? Most likely. Eventually the door is open to Peter. And pay attention to the next words. They were astonished, amazed, or wondering. Yet this is the very thing that they have been constantly praying for. We can imagine just how they crowded all about him, talking all at once, questioning what had happened. He holds his hand up to quiet them and tells them the story. He asks them to let James and another brethren know he is safe, and then he leaves, probably for their safety. Turn now to the scene in the prison as the new day arises. Peter is missing, and the guards can't explain what has happened. Herod calls for Peter to be brought to him, and then for the keepers. We can imagine his anger at the situation, and especially at his trusted guards. He has them put to death immediately. It does not appear, for some reason, that he puts out a search for Peter. The next sentence says, 
He went down from Judea to Sisera and there abode. It would appear that the story is over, but there is just a few more verses to finish. In verse 20, we find Herod in another angry state with the people of Tyre and Sidon and was ready to make war against them. But the rulers had made a friend in his chamberlain, and so it appeared peace would prevail. He comes down in his royal robes to make an oration to the people, probably to let them know how benevolent and wonderful he is to them. In verse 22, the people give him accolades, the accolades that he so desires. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. Herod is about to be judged by God, but he's unaware of it yet. As he stands there, basking in his own glory, God pronounces his judgment. And immediately, the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Would any of the saints who saw this recall the words of Proverbs 7 and 11? God is angry with the wicked every day, and his mischief shall return upon his own head. And his violent dealings shall come down upon his own head. It is interesting to note that the words of the next <clears throat> it is interesting to note the words of the next verse. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Despite Herod's plan and despite the wishes of the Jews, the word of God prevailed and expanded. God's will and purpose cannot be set aside by the strategies of men. Now this chapter began with the persecution of the church and the death of James and Peter thrown into prison. It ends with the freedom of Peter, the death of Herod, and the increase of the church. One disciple has been killed at the beginning, but three more are mentioned now. Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark. We have a few lessons from this chapter, which I hope you will make, <clears throat> which I hope I can make with you today. First, that we are not just individuals in our faith. We form the body of Christ in an ecclesias, we need to be united, especially in hard times. How much greater are the prayers when they go up to, <clears throat> as a unified request to our Heavenly Father? Just as the ecclesia came together to pray for Peter in this story, so perhaps we ought to come together in times of need for each other. Second, our faith needs to be strong and unwavering. We need to learn to trust that whatever path God leads us on, he is with us and will guide us to safety if we allow him. Third, he deal, will deal with the wicked around us. It may not be quite when we want it or how we want it, but he will deal with them. There is nothing they can do to prevent his judgment. The Lord will prevail. Our sole task is to do the will of the Lord no matter what and let him take care of everything else. Fourth, that despite the efforts of man to magnify himself and to negate God, God's word will grow and multiply until the time of the Gentiles is finished. We are now in those times, brothers and sisters. Now is the time to praise him for the magnificent plan for our freedom we have through his son, Jesus Christ. Now is the time to build our personal faith. Now is the time to build the, our household of faith. Now is the time to pray unceasingly for the return of his son and to trust that God will make all things right. Learn to have faith that all the haystacks have been covered with tarpaulins. The cows are in the barn, the chickens are in the coops, and the doors have been barred. 
The shutters are all tightly secured. Everything is in order. Learn to sleep as Peter did when the wind blows through your life.